You're listening to episode 52 of the National Centre for Writing podcast. Every week we talk about the writing life and discover exciting new projects. It's Wednesday the 10th of July here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. I'm Steph McKenna and I'm joined by my matchless colleague Simon Jones. Hi Steph. Hello. Coming up today we've got a chat with J.Y. Yang who visited us from Singapore last month and stayed in the residency cottage on the Dragon Hall campus. For those of you who came to our last Dragon Hall salon, you may well have met J.Y. there. J.Y. is the author of the Tensorate series of novellas, which starts with The Black Tides of Heaven. The fourth book in the series, The Ascent to Godhood, is out at the end of this month. Uh, yeah, so I'm reading The Black Tides of Heaven at the oh, moment, are you? which oh, is very good and very intriguing. Uh, in the interview with J.Y., we talk a lot about their style of world building. Mm. Uh, it's set in this fantasy alternate universe which I think the genre is has been coined as silk punk. This is a new thing for me I had to google this before we started because I have never heard of silk punk before but it's a bit like steampunk. Yeah I think it's a relatively new term that Mm. comes from 2015 we talk about the origins of it a little bit in the interview Oh, that's and yeah so whereas steampunk is this kind of alternate universe Mm. that is spun out of Victorian England uh, silk punk is the equivalent, but within Asian setting. Oh wow! So taking its kind of cultural cues from yeah. that, this is my first encounter with it. And mm. yeah, Black Ties of Heaven is is great so far. Is you need to uh, anyone who's listening should immediately go and just Google the front covers for all of JY's books. Are they looking great? They are amazing. Are they? Yes. Oh, I'll have to do that as well. Then I haven't seen mine. Yeah, so. no, it's a great visual style. JY, yeah, has a lot to talk about in terms of world building and also how they came to be writing these novels. They studied here uh, in Norwich at UEA for a while and the books emerged out of some of that. Mm. Um, They also talk about their current book, which is what they were working on while they were here, Mm. which began life as a kind of alternate telling of the Joan of Arc story. Oh, excellent. It was going to be a historic alternate universe novel, but has since become set in the far future. Brilliant. For interesting reasons that J.Y. will get into. Excellent. Well, let us go over to JY now. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. Um, yeah, good. Excellent. We're sat in the living room yes. of your little house that you've yes. been in for about a month now? Uh, yeah, just about like three and a half weeks. Yeah. Yes. It's been nice. And you've got, is it a week left before you head back? Half a week, more or less. It's yeah. Wednesday, is it? I'm gone at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've been uh, checking out the first book in the Tensorate oh, series. Oh, <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying it a lot so far. Yeah. Um, I'm not all the way through, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, the first thing before we get to the words, I suppose, is that mm-hmm. the covers are amazing. <laughs> they are so amazing. Um, I have been very lucky in the cover department. I feel like like half the buzz of the books when they came out at the at the start was like due to the covers and people just pick them up because of the gorgeous covers they are the the covers are done by Yuko Shimizu who is like an amazing artist and her style is very sort of um uh distinctive and uh I think like at the start when Irene Gallo who sort of like did the uh sort of art direction for the books uh at the start uh she asked me you know to send like a bunch of references for what I wanted the cover to look like. So I just sent her like a bunch of like very Asian, like sort of East Asian stuff. And she's like, oh, I think, you know, um, 
uh, we've worked with Yuko before and I think she's really suitable for these books and she turned us a bunch of like amazing covers. I think we are up to book four now and every single one of them has been really, really great. So like, I have been very lucky in the cover department, yeah. Yeah, and it's great to have such a distinctive style for each of the books so you, you know that it's that series yeah, that you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was, that was my, my initial response when I, <laughs> when I got the book. I was like, wow, this is it's amazing. I've not even opened it yet. Um, and, and then the, the next thing I always enjoy is when you open a book and there's a map oh, inside yes. it that always like starts ticking a box for me. Um, was the map something like, are you, are you the sort of person that likes a map in a fantasy book or was that something that came later on? See, the or? thing is that I tend to be someone who basically ignores maps in fantasy books because I'm like geographical, geographically terrible about things. <laughs> um, for this, I did provide a map because I kind of drew one when I was doing sort of my very initial world building and I was like, oh, I, I, for, for me, in, in terms of world building, I kind of need to have an idea of where everything is so that while I'm writing, I have an idea in my head of like the relation of all these places uh, together. Because like, um, part of the book deals a lot with sort of like this geopolitical um, issues. Um, and like kind of like how centers of power uh, sort of like oppress other areas, you know, it's a, it's, so basically I do have sort of this overarching colonial power in, in the books. Uh, I don't know how far along with, with the, the series you are, but yeah, the sort of like the protectorate is like this kind of like colonial power that sort of exerts a great deal of control over like the southern part of the continent and stuff like that. So as I was writing all of that, I had to sort of like plan out um, like the uh, the sort of geography of the area so that it would be consistent while like when I wrote it more or less. And also because um, first I read like one um, really interesting article I think on io9 or something talking about like uh, planets that had um, different sort of gravity. I can't even remember what it was about, but I do remember that um, I, I kind of concocted this world that had like different gravity at the poles and at the um, at the, the equator. And so I also wanted to like make sure that was all sorted out. Um, just was like, turned out to be very incidental to the world building and it, it's just there because I thought it was cool at the time and then I got stuck with it and I had to continue. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, like, in terms of when you were sketching out that map to help you, mm -hmm. like, is that something that you did before you started writing, or is it a kind of as-you-go-along kind of thing? It, I, I definitely did actually sketch out the map before I started writing, but uh, when I was at the sort of like initial world-building stage, uh, which was just like two pages of like, okay, this is like the world, these are like the conventions that they have, this is the map of the world kind of thing. It was very brief and I left a lot of gaps, which I kind of regretted because then I had to keep filling them in as I wrote. Um, so it was kind of combination of both, I had like a skeleton um, sort of like plan for the world building before I jumped in and then I made stuff up as I went along and hoped that it didn't contradict stuff that had gone by earlier but I forgot about <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because uh, yeah, you've got the fourth book coming out next month. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. And 
in terms of the series, was it always intended to be a series? Did you have book four in mind when you were doing book one? Or? So that's a very interesting question because this series has had sort of an interesting development. Uh, so during my MA, uh, when I was here, uh, it, it was like, I think three years ago, I was in Norwich. I was doing my MA at the University of East Anglia. And um, at the same time, while I was doing, I was like my schoolwork and dissertation, I was also working on this at this, on the side, because uh, the year before my editor, Carl, who had not, who, who wasn't my editor at the point, but, you know, sort of like just someone in this, in the industry who kind of approached me and said, like, you know, I'm looking for, you know, novellas from like, um, from a diverse group of people. And I love like sort of the short stories you've been putting out so far. Um, you know, if you have something, I would love to see it. So I was just like, yes, I have to take this opportunity. <laughs> so like for, I kind of like agonized over like what kind of novella I wanted to write for him. So I did write uh, something that I worked on while I was doing my MA, uh, which ended up being my dissertation because like the, the novel that I actually wanted to write didn't kind of work out. I was like too anxious at that point to to work on it so I just in the end I was just like okay I'll just submit like 15,000 words of this novella um but I wrote the red threads of fortune first and it was like kind of like a standalone-ish story and I had the idea of like writing a sequel uh which would tell the sort of like backstory of the other from the other twins point of view um so I sent in like the the original draft of um red threads to the editor Carl and he was very excited and they he sort of told me um you know I think it's a good chance that we might actually take this and he's like here's a draft contract that you might want to think about and then I I kind of panicked and then went out and and, and rented the first agent I could think of and I'm like help me I need an agent and so he became my agent uh, uh Dong Won who is like fantastic and he kind of went back to tour and said um, it doesn't make sense to sell just one book, to which to me was like really strange because like to me it made perfect sense to just sell one book when he's like, um, you know, like they have an idea for a sequel, so why don't you make this a two book deal? And so um, that was the initial thing. I signed a contract for two books and they said, let's do an interesting uh, experiment in publishing where we put both of these out at the same time and I'm like okay sure so I wrote the Black Times of Heaven like later in that year mm -hmm. and then they all they were both released at the same time like the year after I think in September and like after like you know, the books were sent to like you know transmitted to production and then the whole uh, like marketing cycle was beginning my um, editor was like let's talk about like you know for the project so I pitched two more novellas at that point and actually at that point I kind of didn't really have any idea for these the later two books in the series except that I kind of wanted to sort of play with the narrative form a bit because like the first two books were very um, different like um, The Red Threads of Fortune which I think you haven't read yet it's basically it's a very straightforward kind of like um, action film uh, that you know takes place over three days whereas like The Black Tides of Heaven is this sort of like great generational family drama that spans 30 years and is in like four parts and there are time skips in the middle of it. So like I wanted to write two 
more books that were just kind of just as different from each other. So like the book three was intent intended to be entirely epistolary. It was just supposed to be like someone's letters and 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 journals. But um, it kind of, the original idea kind of didn't work. So I did like I think two or three drafts and then finally sort of like ended up with the version that was published, which was like sort of like this investigator going on and um, sort of like. Poking it is it was an inquiry into uh, a, a, a terrible industrial accident in the north, and then um, they find out sort of like these horrible things have happened, and you know the government is keeping terrible secrets about stuff that's happening from them. And the last book, uh, which is coming out, and the one that's coming out next month, it's is a drunken monologue. <laughs> <laughs> It was hard to write because I realized that I'm like really terrible at dialogue when I was writing it. I was like, <laughs> why did I decide to do this? But it was an interesting sort of like, I guess, experiment in forms. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, and I learned a lot of things. Yeah, so you, did, you didn't want to repeat yourself with yeah, each book, basically. Yeah, yeah. Key of which is that I realized that I'm terrible at writing dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> is is yeah. book four intended to be the last one? Is that um, the... I I think for now it will be the last one because I'm like kind of out of ideas for where I want to take the series in the book and I'm working on different projects now that are like significantly taking up more of my time so I kind of want to focus on mm -hmm. those I think. Um, yeah so it sounds like it all happened quite quickly I mean from the way you describe it in terms so uh, mm -hmm. in terms of these four books yeah if have you essentially other than the first two coming out simultaneously mm -hmm. it feels like you sort of had a book a year almost yeah I mean like the novellas they're like super short so actually I've it yeah I've actually taken a much longer time than I wanted to write the second two the next two books because mm. I just struggled with them uh a lot so like I had to write multiple drafts of each one whereas like the Black Tides of Heaven was almost what was published was pretty much the same as what I wrote as the first draft um so yeah it's it's taken basically a year between each of the books which is like it's fine I would hope to write faster for like future projects yeah um, yeah because like these are like really really short books like then the the last two books are like twenty thousand words each like they're short mm -hmm. yeah why do you think the last two have been more difficult is it because people are paying attention now? Um, i think it, it's a bit of both i think like when i started the first two books i had a much clearer idea of like um, what specifically I wanted to do with them in terms of character, in terms of uh, plot and, and things like that. I had a very clear idea of where those books were going to go. The second two, I, I sort of like had vague ideas of what I wanted to do with them, but they were mostly very conceptual. And when I actually wrote them, I was like, this is not really working for me, you know? Mm. So I kind of like had to hack the books out of like a, a much like firmer block of marble so to speak whereas for like the previous two books I kind of really had like the shape of the books um in mind before I even started writing them yeah because like the second I felt like the second two books I was just like inventing a lot on the fly as I was <laughs> writing and then I would scrap it all and reinvent it the next time I like tried re rewriting the book for the next draft yeah <laughs> Uh, I think Tor, certainly on, on the back of the books, describe it as silk punk. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, is 
because it was not a term that I'd encountered previously. And it's, I think it's quite a new. It is. It's term, actually the the term was actually invented by Ken Liu uh, for his book series. I think it's called. I don't know what the. I can't recall right now what the type like sort of like the series title for it, but it starts with the Grace of Kings. Um, it's the Chrysanthemum some trilogy. I'm I can't remember, but um, like Ken Liu's invented the term or uh, coined it uh, during the interviews that he was giving when I the Grace of Kings was coming out, and um, and then my editor Carl was like, you know, like if we want to make it a genre, it has once you make a second book the same thing, then it's a genre. So that's basically kind of what happened. Like the books were just labeled as silk punk, and then now it's a thing. Um, so it, it's not like I think an, a label that I necessarily thought of while I was writing the book because I just kind of wrote the book and think about what genre it was going to be in because I read all this kind of really strange science fantasy things that are like a mashup of all the stuff that I like and <laughs> I, it's very difficult for me to stick strictly to one um like you know subgenre or the other um like you know all my fantasy has to have like bits of technology in it and all my science fiction has to have bits of magic in it. I, I, yeah, I tend to mix things up quite a lot. So, Yeah, in terms of the world building, uh, so yeah, I'm reading Black Tides of Heaven at the yeah. moment and something I really liked about it is straight away you just sort of drop people in. <laughs> yes. Um, and you've got slack craft and you've got mm -hmm. all these weird creatures that are appearing you're not really sure where they're coming from right. and they're meant to be extinct but they're clearly not there's, <laughs> there's something going on there uh like you were saying you've got the kind of geopolitical setup yes. which initially as the reader you don't quite grasp it but you get the sense that there's you know various places which are quite far apart that right, there's right. tensions and uh all that kind of stuff and but your approach to world building seems to be very much that you don't sort of sit down and explain it to the reader. It mm -hmm. just sort of happens and yeah. the reader pieces it together yeah. over time. Yeah, I think that's kind of one of my storytelling things because I don't like exposition. I always admire people who can do world building through sort of implication and like sort of like cause and effect. So like, but it's, it's also extremely difficult to do uh, in, in that you want pe you don't want to feel like you're writing a Wikipedia article for your readers, <laughs> but you also don't want them to be like completely in the dark, like I don't understand what's going on. So it's a, it's a it's a, it's a delicate balance, I think, to, to uh because and, and as as a writer, I think when you write, you're immersed in your own world, and so you know what's going on, you know what all the information is. So like your decision to withhold or to give your readers that information. Sometimes I think it's good to have someone else read the book uh, while it's being written or like at, at early draft stage because like I think what people understand and what people don't understand is something that you may not necessarily have the best idea of because you know everything and so you think that okay this is going to be obvious but actually it's not going to be obvious to somebody who is coming to this world as an absolute newcomer um so yeah I think it really helps to sort of like for for red threats um 
I did get like a number of people to read the first drafts and 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 I think one of them in particular Kate Elliott who has been like super supportive of my career she's like really established you know she's been writing fantasy for like decades at this point really and she's like you know um the information like on the earlier draft she was like the information is a bit dense and I got it but I'm also a very seasoned um fantasy reader like this is kind of the mode that I I read and I write in so like you know I get it faster than maybe a casual reader would so that kind of feedback was like very important for me to know how to sort of like um adjust things so people are like thrown in the deep end but not in the deep end full of currents and they will drown (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's a really fine line between being excited as a reader at not quite understanding something and being annoyed at not understanding something (laughs) and like treading that line is really hard i'm trying to remember who it was i think it might have been charles stross maybe did a blog post probably ages ago where he was talking about how Mm-hmm. a fantasy or science fiction novel you know if, if it's set in a completely other world or if yeah. it's set far enough in the future like it should feel slightly uncomfortable mm-hmm. it should feel like um, unfamiliar right. and uncomfortable at the beginning right. because if it doesn't then it's probably just a bit too normal <laughs> yeah, almost. yeah, uh, you, yeah. you want it kind of enough removed so that you feel like you're visiting a new place yeah um, yeah which yeah which is what always draws me to science fiction and fantasy because yeah. then you know every paragraph you, there's something to discover in it potentially yes, yeah. i think with the twins mm-hmm. in black ties of heaven because they're growing up and discovering stuff that uh, provides quite a useful way in for readers as well um, yeah. as they're kind of learning their skills yeah. it's a handy way to explain kind of how the slack stuff works as yeah. you go along Um, which is actually kind of like a debate that went on because the books were released at the same time and they were supposed to be like companion novellas that you could read um in either order um which i mean kind of makes sense because i wrote like the um red threads second uh first sorry i wrote red threads first and then black tides second mm. um but also i i realized that black tides is an easier sort of introduction to the world uh yeah as what you said that because it it follows a pair of twins who are growing up so as they learn about the world around them and how it works then the reader learns along with them so it's to me i i really do think that it is an easier um entry point even though it was the second book i wrote and if people ask me like which one should i read first i would just like start with black tights and i think it was labeled as number one in the series because they just had to put it down for administrative purposes um <laughs> you know, like to register it on Goodreads and everything. Uh, but I also have had like a number of people who felt that Red Thread was a better introduction to the series mm. because like then, um, and they felt that it, like even though it was is a bit of a steeper learning curve, then it, it gives more emotional resonance if you read like Red Threads first and then Black Tide second. So I'm like, yeah, sure. That's also a fair, fair indication. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a fair point because that is the order in which I wrote them. So that's the, also the order in which I kind of approach these characters. So that's kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact they came out at the same time and could be read in any order yeah, is yeah. quite unusual. <laughs> it is um, very unusual. It was an experiment. I don't, I, I don't know if they thought it was successful, but the books have been mm-hmm. quite successful. So maybe it's like... Yeah, maybe it was a success for them. But it's also like very strange that, you know... I guess you don't normally like. I think it, that experiment might may have worked for these books at that 
moment of time um, that the experiment, you know, the results may not be able to be replicated. Mm -hmm. in, in terms of the ideas and the themes that are in it, um, mm -hmm. were, those, uh, were those things that you'd wanted to explore in your writing for ages or was it, were they, uh, was it, did it emerge when you were planning the books? Like in terms of, because these are your first published yeah. novellas, right? So yeah. is it kind of like everything's in them? In a way, uh, or there is a bunch of stuff in there. I wouldn't <laughs> say like everything, but like there's a lot of stuff in them, and definitely the stuff that's like about you know power in society and and colonialism, um, that definitely has been a sort of theme in my writing for a long time. But one of the most interesting things that kind of developed, I guess, organically was the stuff of the gender, um, mm. which I put in kind of at the earlier stage of the writing, which I thought was just kind of like a side, interesting side thread, um, uh, where, you know, it's just like another brick in the wall of the world building and the, and, and, but it turned out to be something that became a very major theme in especially the first two books, because, um, like the Black Tides of Heaven says the whole thing with Akeha and their gender, um, their journey, uh, and it's, Basic. It's interesting because, like, I basically figured out that I was non-binary while I was writing these books, even though I never really started out with the idea that I wanted these books to be about gender, which they kind of still aren't. But it has the books have also been incredibly sort of um, associated with sort of like this. Like, if you want to read books that have uh, interesting or uh, alternative ideas about gender these my books have been one of the books that have been promoted um in that respect so it's like every time there's like pride month um in the u.s i get like a uptick of like recommendations <laughs> and stuff it's like oh if you want books that are like about gender and in interesting um alternative ways of thinking about gender and like you read the tensorate series um which, I mean, it's fair enough, like, you know, it helped me sort of come to terms with my gender. So and mm. I've heard from, like, many people that it's helped them understand what, like, you know, non-binary genders are or help them sort of, like, articulate them, hey, maybe I might be non-binary too. Or, like, you know, if they're not already non-binary, they're like, oh, it's so great to sort of, like, see myself, like, reflected in fiction and yeah. stuff. So it's been, it's, it's been a very interesting journey because I'm, I'm very sure that at at the outset, when I first sat down and started to conceptualize this book, this was not where I saw it going, but yes, it yeah. just happened that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the process of writing it mm -hmm. and exploring the themes in the book also mm -hmm. sort of helped you with your own thoughts about it at the same yeah. time. <laughs> it's like, oh, did not see this coming, but this <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Especially if it's now gone on to yeah be similarly helpful to other people yeah, as well. Yeah, that, that's been one of the like really great parts about having the books out in the world that people tell me like, yeah, they're useful. And I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Excellent. In terms of being here in Norwich uh, for the last month, mm -hmm. uh, you've, you've been here before when you studied yes. um, for a year. And I think at the salon, you were saying how that was initially intended to be longer. Yeah. And didn't quite go as planned. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Now you're back here and I mean, I guess the main question is what have you been working on while you're here and what's, yeah. what, 
has it been useful to be away from home to do some of that writing? Like, how has it changed or affected the process? Um, I, I, well, I mean, it's been, so one of the things that I have been sort of working on, and basically kind of the main thing I've been working on is, uh, um, the rewrite of my first novel. So I had, uh, I, I kind of like been working on it since, I want to say like October last year, but then at the start, at, in January, I scrapped everything I had and I started from zero again and I wrote uh, a draft in, I finished it sometime at the end of April, uh, sent it to my agent and then he got back to me with comments like at the start of the month. So I kind of been like kind of breaking down the manuscript and looking at all the changes that I need to make and uh, trying to start with the rewrite, which has been going very, very slowly because like, you know, I've spent the month away from it. And, um, but I think it's been good being here and being back, um, and sort of like sometimes reconnecting with, with like some of my MA classmates who are still here and sort of like being very cheered to see that, you know, they still have their little, they have their own like writing group going and being like, yeah, so much has changed in the last three years since I was here. Cause I, I was just thinking yesterday that, um, when I was here, there was like a lot of nonsense going on in my life at the time. And I was in, you know, I had a lot of anxiety about um, my writing and where my career was going. And in the three years since, I have gained a lot more confidence uh, and I've like sorted out a lot of things. And um, I'm kind of glad to be back in Norwich now where I can, when I'm sort of like in a place where I'm more confident in myself and my writing and where I want to go with this and just kind of being able to sort of appreciate, be in the moment a bit more fully and appreciate the city more. Yeah, it's been nice being back, honestly. Yeah. And you know, the difference is that when you were, you were studying here mm -hmm. and then you had to leave earlier than you intended, but now you're back with three books published and a yeah. fourth one just about to come out, which yeah. presumably when you were doing the MA here, that wasn't really on the horizon at that point. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I had no idea. Like, it was really stressful for me, like, just submitting them. I submitted them and sold them and got my agent while at the tail end of Miami. But that was during when I was having all these issues with the visa that eventually let, you know, me and all the other people, <laughs> all the other international students who were going to do a second year to sort of leave early because, mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, visa issues. Um, so that was like an extremely stressful period of my life, but it turned out fine um, in the end, more or less, even though I would have liked to do like, I guess, a second year in Norwich, but I think it's worked out, um, you know, because, you know, I think if I had done a second year, maybe I, I, things would happen different anyway, yes. <laughs> in a sense, like, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be working on the no novel that I'm working on, I guess, because like, I would have worked on whatever I was doing that I intended to do for my MFA, which this novel was actually born from that idea because I wanted to do a historical novel um, where Joan of Arc was actually a Chinese woman. And this is like in the response to um, the trend of, you know, having like white saviors in, in, in like ancient China and ancient Japan. I think that it was like Tom Cruise in like a samurai film. The, the catalyst for the idea was the terrible Matt Damon movie, The Great Wall, where he was like, I was born to see China or whatever. I, I, what? I never saw that film, but the, just the trailer it yeah, was enough, the, Yeah, really. the trailer was just like <laughs> terrible. That, that was actually kind of what set me off at the time. I was just like, why don't you ever have it the other way? Why don't you have like, you know, 
Chinese people saving Europe because like in the Middle Ages, like, you know, China was a global power. It was, you know, powerful. Global power that was powerful. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they were rich and they had... They, um, in the 15th century, it was like Wen Zhenghe was, you know, he was, he was basically contemporaneous with the Joan of Arc um, as a hundred years war. And during that time, China had like sort of this massive trading empire and they would send these huge ships, you know, around the world um, um, led by this guy Zhenghe. So he went on like these massive voyages. Um, think you know to southeast asia in these huge boats um that you know contain lots of treasures and that he would bring back stuff from other places and this all took place in the 15th century so the idea of that was to sort of like write um a chinese woman kind of coming to europe and and getting stranded there and like sort of like fighting in the Hundred Years' War but um i obviously the mfa didn't happen i tried to do it on my own once I got back to Singapore. I mean, like, before I left, I actually even went to France and I went to all these, like, historical sites and climbed lots of, like, medieval staircases and feared for my <laughs> life throughout all of them. Um, but through the writing of the... Uh, the attempt at writing of this novel, I realised that I cannot write historical fantasy because I am too attached to making stuff up. I'm too attached to building my own societies with their own weird roles and, uh, and things like that. So I was just like, I kind of abandoned that novel idea, tried to work on something else. And then somewhere last year, I was like, you know, what if I took like that Joan of Arc idea, um, but just wrote her story in space, like <laughs> thousands of years in the future and made it YA. So I wrote an entire synopsis. I pitched it to my... Um, my agent, he was like, this is really great. This is really exciting. Also, it's not YA, but you should write it. So I haven't, so that's what I've been working on. It's like Joan of Arc in space with giant robots. That's, that's a pretty good pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So what, what was it about it that made it not YA when you thought um, it was not YA? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, that's what I've been trying to figure out. Because um, according to my agent, like YA books have to have like certain conventions that he felt that my story just didn't have like the narrative itself just didn't feel like it. and he's like you know I trust his 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 point of view like he used to be an editor before he became an agent and he was like in the industry for like what 10 15 years so he knows the industry well so it's like he says it's not a YA book it's not YA mm. um but he thinks that there's like a lot of crossover appeal so it's kind of like going to be marketed as an adult SSF book but we expect there to be a lot of crossover um, audiences from people who generally read YA and hopefully teams and stuff yeah I, I like personally I don't understand what makes a book YA because when I was growing up the category kind of didn't exist and mm. when I was 13 years old the people who were in charge of books are like you are no longer children here go re <laughs> read George Orwell and learn about satire yeah. <laughs> like you know so yeah I've like you know when I was a teenager I was reading like Heinlein and you know Asimov and stuff like that and the, it was just like a free-for-all so 
Yeah, I don't know what YA is. <laughs> <laughs> I would just, I will rely on like, you know, the the publishing industry to tell me like, okay, this book is YA or not, because I have like no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just let them sort that out at the other yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is your first novel. So yes. what was it about the story that meant, because obviously the Tensorate stuff was all novellas. Yes. Um, and what is it about this that makes it suitable for a novel instead of going down the same kind of approach? The, yeah, the interesting thing about that is that when I actually sort of like first saw Red Threads, uh, um, my agent was like, have you ever considered, because it's like, it was like a 40,000 word novella, um, which is basically on the high end of like novella. Like he was like, have you ever t thought about padding it out and turning this into a novel and I told him that no I want this to be a novella because I don't feel like it has the weight to be a novel and I think like for me personally like the um difference in that is that I feel like novels have to be in a sense about something like it's like it's somebody's story or it's like it's the story of something that's bigger and maybe not an individual, but it has like a certain, like it's supposed to embody a certain theme or that's kind of like how I see it. And I felt like the novella ideas that was that I, were, I had, they were like single stories, but they were not necessarily about something in that sense. Like, you know, it, it's about a certain incident in the person's life, mm -hmm. but not necessarily about something. Like, I think Black Tides could have been a novel because it's basically about, like, a person. Um, which is kind of the way that I, like, approach novels. And, like, I, I, I admit that that definition probably doesn't work for everyone because I think people are, like, capable of writing entire novels that are just about one single sequence of events. But that's kind of not what... I want to write in terms of novels. Like I want my novels to sort of like paint a bigger picture. That kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that is kind of, I feel like this book is kind of like that. Um, honestly, this is only half of what I originally intended to write as the first novel in the series and then I told my agent that I think we have to split the book because this part is like a hundred and twenty thousand words <laughs> if I wrote the entire thing that I pitched it's going to be a two hundred thousand word uh, novel and I kind of don't want to mm -hmm. go out with a two hundred thousand novel so because I don't want to write all two hundred thousand words at once I will never be done <laughs> so yeah so I kind of chopped it in half and then the second half will be like in the next few books yeah yeah uh, my, my next question was going to be is this a standalone thing or series <laughs> it's not, it's, <laughs> yeah it's not a standalone because like even like the first novel idea like the the first synopsis that i wrote for him which i didn't chopped in half like even that wasn't kind of like a standalone it could have been a standalone i think um, but i wanted to write more than that mm -hmm. so it's like going to be three books at least i think <laughs> do you imagine that like, is kind of series storytelling what mm. appeals to you primarily or is that just what you're doing at the moment um i i do actually feel that i'm moving towards writing sort of like longer series because i think 
the thing about me is that I kind of love doing wall building but once I start doing wall building I get lost kind of lost in the sticks where I start like having all these character ideas and side story ideas and stuff so the thing I like about kind of like writing longer or long-running series is that you then have kind of space to explore all these different things mm -hmm. um I don't know if like this will end up being one of those series that go on for like seven books or whatever but you know I, I if 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 you asked me to do it I could probably think of like stuff to do for books in the world I guess lastly I suppose and mm -hmm. I think we've you know we've talked about this a lot <laughs> but why why fantasy and why science fiction like what is it that draws you to that and you're saying that when you were younger you were reading you know, Asimov and Heinlein and that yeah. is it is that just always been your thing yeah I'm a nerd who thinks about a lot of things <laughs> I, I guess like um I blame my father for this because he was the one who introduced me to Primarily like Star Wars and Star Trek, um, like, and and I do remember that when I was like in grade school, like in primary school, um, I would kind of look for Star Wars novelizations uh, in in the library. But I think it was really in secondary school when I kind of like ended up by sure coincidence ended up in a small friend group uh, who were both hugely into sci-fi and fantasy because of their dads uh, and we and they kind of like dragged me along with them um, and the reason we were actually friends wasn't because of any of this is because our Chinese our Mandarin Chinese was can I swear on that <laughs> was crap <laughs> okay like it was bad um, so I was like in a fairly sort of like elite institutions basically the top girls school in Singapore um and everyone that was like scary smart so they were all doing like higher Chinese um mm. for the old levels um but we were crap at Chinese so we were doing like regular Chinese and like in my program there were only three of us so we all had to go for join another class during like Chinese period and um, so that's how we basically became friends and the two of them were like huge Star Wars and Star Trek fans and they were like oh, we're gonna drag you with us and that's kind of <laughs> how I kind of turned out as a like mega science fiction and fantasy fan so like you know what I remember that when I was in secondary school we printed out a list of all the Hugo and Nebula award winner um, in the, the, for the novel category and we tried to get through the list which like this was in the 1990s before Amazon and we were like in Singapore and so we could only rely on like the bookstores and it was so difficult because like a lot of these books particularly the ones that were like you know in the 50s and 60s and they were very difficult to get a hold of um, in the 1990s if you lived in Southeast Asia <laughs> so yeah I remember that, and yeah, it's really strange to think that now I've been nominated for these awards myself, because yeah. like a teenage me would never have <laughs> anticipated that yeah. happening. Although yeah. in retrospect, it sounds like everything was kind of pushing you yeah, in that general direction. No, I mean, like, I was a science fiction nerd because I was a science nerd in general and the understanding that was like when I grew up I was going to be a scientist and I actually kind of was I like did life sciences when I was at uni and I my first job when I graduated was in a lab but then I kind of left it to go into creative writing which is uh, something that I guess 
not that many people saw coming because like I dropped literature at like potato when I was mm. the, the moment I got the opportunity to drop literature as in secondary school I just did because I was like I don't understand this it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah. was the moment that pulled you back towards writing it's very um it was a kind of a strange journey but I was like not happy in the sciences because I am not smart or disciplined enough <laughs> for the sciences basically I uh, couldn't get into a PhD program and uh, without a PhD in the uh, in R&D you're basically as one of our ministers so kindly put it a glorified test tube washer yeah, without a PhD all you can do is wash test tubes which is kind of true he, I mean like harsh truth but he said it so I was like very frustrated in the career and then somebody uh, sort of messaged me and said that uh, I follow your life journal because that was like the time when life journal was yeah. the whole thing um and you know based on your interests in uh you know like the kind of series that you like like you like babylon 5 i think i think you have a good grasp of what makes a good story uh would you be interested to write for for us and he was a writer in the local animation studio in Singapore and so I freelanced for them for a year before making the switch to quit the sciences entirely and go um, and try to make a living as a writer but I kind of felt in and out of that in between because like uh, you know trying to make a creative career in Singapore is terrible like that just no money in it um at that time uh Singapore's government was just like oh uh putting a lot of money in animation um because they thought that it could be a viable industry in Singapore and then it kind of blew up when I was there um and in the end I became a journalist also because I was solicited because I had written a very angry letter about um, a letter that was published in the paper that I think it shouldn't have been published in. and like uh, and uh, the guy at the paper was like oh we're kind of setting up a new digital um, desk uh, because this was in 2011 and uh, it is, especially in Singapore like Twitter wasn't um, seen as much of a news thing it was like you know people were still slowly adopting it and they were starting a uh, digital desk to sort of handle the website and Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that break news and things that he's like I want people who understand the internet uh, but are not necessarily journalists because he felt that journalists in Singapore were still very print oriented and he wanted right. people who could think, think out for. so that's how I ended up being a journalist so I've made all this like strange career switches in my <laughs> life that have happened by sheer coincidence and like because I wrote stupid things on the internet <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and, and I only kind of came back to actual creative writing um, in 2013 because I applied for a workshop called Claren West because Neil Gaiman was teaching that year. Yeah, and I, got in. I think I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and like I didn't know that it was a thing. At the time, I, kind of, I think I kind of, um, I was sort of like dabbling in the science fiction, like the short fiction community, um, but not very fully in it. I wasn't like actively, consistently writing. Um, I had a bunch of like writer friends in Singapore, but it was kind of more like a hobby. Like we would meet every year, do nano remo, write terrible novels, and then just do nothing with them. <laughs> um, and and yeah. So uh, after Kyron West, I 
sort of got into the habit of like writing and submitting short stories more prolifically and then one of my uh, classmates who was British she was like because I was thinking about doing MFAs in America but also they wanted me to do like the the GSATs or something the GRE and um I I did I actually did the GRE but I did terribly on it I was like really depressed and my um my my British classmate was like, why don't you apply to the University of East Anglia? Because I know that they're like, they, they're genre friendly because I know someone who did that and she writes fantasy. So I was just like, okay, sure. I And I like, there were a bunch of Singaporeans who coincidentally, like there were three of them that year who were doing their MA at UEA. And I kind of applied for it. I had, and I have to admit that I didn't know that it was like, difficult to get into like I didn't know that it was basically one of the best creative writing like programs in the country I just like applied and I'm like oh I didn't know that when I got in just kind of the story of my life but um that's kind of how uh, I sort of like realized that being a creative writer a novelist is was something that I could actually do like it was an actual viable career because I never thought that when I was in, in Singapore because basically Singapore is market is extremely small and even if you get published in Singapore there's like no money in it none whatsoever mm-hmm. um and I never thought that I would actually be able to break into the international market like ever um until I started like you know like just kind of like got into these programs and started interacting with people who were actually in the industry and they kind of encouraged me to like, yeah, you should do this. You should like submit stuff and write stuff and, and things. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey, a very convoluted one. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm here and I, I'm, yeah, it's taken me a while, but I finally kind of sure that I think this is the right move. This is kind of what I want to do for the rest of my life. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, JY. Thank you so much. That was great. Thanks for listening and thanks to JY. We really loved having you here at Dragon Hall. Yeah, if you're listening and are interested in our residency programme, there's lots of information about it over on the website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. If you've got questions or you want to get in touch, you can follow me on Twitter at StephXMcKenna or Simon. At Tarnamus. If you've got any questions or comments about the podcast, please do email us uh, info at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre and on Facebook by searching the National Centre for Writing. Please do continue to review and rate the podcast. It really does help us. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm